If you'll join with me, our scripture reading today is from John 1, 35 through 41. In our Pew Bibles, this is page 886. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm going to read a very long section of scripture this morning. We're actually going to pick up from where we left off last week and go through chapter 2, verse 12. So quite a few verses. For those of you who are joining us Wednesday uh, for fasting, I I strongly encourage you to. Um, I I just did a three-day fast. I just broke it yesterday. Um, And I'm not telling you to brag or anything like that, but I'm just telling you because, like, I, I feel fine. Like... I'm alive, like you can do one meal, it's not a a big thing, like we can do this, right? And if any of you want to do a longer fast, I'll join you, just let me know, I'll I'll participate with you and and we'll we'll do that. I don't go longer than five days though, that's the only thing. Anything under five, I'll do with you. Um, But for this fasting and in preparation for it, some things to prepare you for and you're asking like, why are we gonna do this together? Like, what's the purpose? So it's, it's twofold. One of them is evangelism and, and witness. So in your mind, if you have someone you want to pray for uh, to know Jesus, um, this is what it's for. And secondly, um, we're gonna get to this in, in our section, but it's for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because this is not going to be done through our own flesh. This is going to be done through the Spirit. And I'll go into more detail about that as we go through the message today. But those two things. So keep that in mind. Someone to pray for. Even if it's yourself. If you're just having some self-doubt or your faith is in crisis or something like that. Or or specific person or persons in your family. And then the other part is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that our church would be baptized with the Spirit so that we are not going out doing this work out of our flesh, but it is of the Spirit. Starting in verse 19, going through 51, so keep awake, please. And then we're going to go into chapter 2 through verse 12. There's a reason to the madness, and, and the reason is this. I'm trying to take a weak snippet of this whole time, and so this is a week in the life of Jesus when he is starting his ministry. So that's why we're going to verse 12 because it's seven days long. So that's why, so here we go. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. 
What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also of the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in him whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will See heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely than the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Everyone's still awake. Good, good. Back in 2000, Warren Buffett, he would auction off a uh, a lunch as a fundraiser, um, and, and he'd do this every year for charity, and 2022 was the last year that he would do this for a charity, and so this is a, a big one, right, because this is the last time you're going to ever be able to like, auction off a dinner and have, or a lunch with him, and, and this lunch includes seven guests, and you go to New York City, and you go to one of his favorite steakhouses, and it's for lunch, and the winner of 2022 Guess how much he paid? $19 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett with seven other buddies. I'd love to have lunch with Warren Buffett. I'd love it. Uh, investment research is actually what I did before pastoral ministry, so that, that's just my cup of tea. That's what I enjoy researching, reading about. That's what I like. And so having lunch with Warren Buffett would be a dream of mine just to learn from this master investor and to ask questions and to listen and just to put into practice the things that he shares with me, not just on, in the investment world, but, but how to prepare myself to be a better investor and, and things like this. Why do I share this story? It's because it's what I think about when I'm reading these verses that John is putting before us the master. And the seven guests I could bring with me as witnesses are, are the witnesses to this story in John. And, and so we're bringing these people all before us to share with us about the master. And so they spent time with this master. And this first week is the span of what I'm, that's why we're going all the way to chapter 2, verse 12. And it's just so much more than lunch, like he's giving three years of his life in ministry and we're just taking this snippet of one week, this one week's worth of experience with the master to fellowship with Jesus, to learn from him. And, and, and Jesus said in chapter one, verse 50, you will see greater things. You will see greater things. Now the first day of the week happens in verses 19 through 28. When the first witness, John the Baptist, announced the arrival of Jesus, the second day is starting in verse 29, it goes through verse 34, and it was when John the Baptist saw Jesus and, and baptized him. The third day, verses 35 through 42, John spoke to two of his disciples and told them, Behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 36. The fourth day is verses 43 through 51, when Jesus went to Galilee. And then John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, is, it says on the third day, but this is the third day after he left for Galilee. So it's 4 plus 3, so it's 7. It's one week, right? 
So, so that those who read this gospel can, can know this glorious and marvelous Savior, Jesus. So that those who hear this gospel come to faith and believe in Jesus, that Jesus will cause all these believers to enter into his kingdom and to have eternal life with him. And so what is eternal life? We look at John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, one of the things John's gospel emphasizes, as we shared about last week, is this word witness. This word witness appears about 30 times. It's 29 times in John's gospel, which is more times than if you added all the other three gospels together and you added that all up. It is more than all three of those combined. So obviously, John's emphasis on witness is very important, is very significant. This is something he wants to nail down. And the vast majority of people who come to faith in Jesus are by the witness of others even today, that they experience the witness of others, and so this is how they come to faith. And this is what John gives us in this portrayal of Jesus' life within this weak time span. He gives us a number of witnesses who point to the glory and the marvel of Jesus by sharing with us Jesus' identity and his ministry. And the point of all of this is for us to see Jesus' glory. John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is for us to see the glory of Jesus, just like those who were with Jesus that first week recorded by John. This is what transforms our lives. This is what changes us. And if there is no change or transformation in your life, maybe the reason is because you haven't seen his glory yet. Because when you see the glory of Jesus for who he really is, you can't help but to change. And so let's look at these witnesses that John shares with us. You look at the witness of John the Baptist, who in verse 36 declares this, Behold the Lamb of God. John was awakened. He, he is completely transformed. And he leads this revival, calling people to repentance after over a century of spiritual silence, after a century of spiritual dryness. That people were, were coming out to the desert. Here it's Bethany, but later on it's other places. But in Bethany, it's not too far from Jerusalem. But they're going out to listen to John. And so, of course, these religious leaders from Jerusalem, they, they come to, to hear what's happening out here in, in Bethany area, which is just like, it's, it's a pretty short walk. It, it's a pretty short walk from Jerusalem. And what's happening out there, and, and, and the event out there, they, they want to judge for themselves if that is truly of God or not, because we have no idea who this guy is. We've never heard of him. He didn't go to our schools. Like, who is this guy? Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? 
They're doubting his credential. They're doubting what he's doing. And they're wondering if he is confessing to be Messiah. And if he is, then they're going to check him out if he truly is Messiah. Because there were many, many false messiahs. Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And so they're thinking back to the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi. And they're thinking, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And so these religious leaders, they're also asking John if he was the prophet, the one that Moses had promised God would send. And so they said to him, who are you? Verse 22, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Then they're like, who are you then? Like, why are you doing all of this? What is all of this stuff that you're doing? Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so this is referring to Isaiah 40, where the prophet Isaiah prophesizes about the return of God's people from this exile, from this silence where they haven't heard from God in a while, and this new exodus of people coming to this glorious faith in Jesus Christ. And what John quoted was from Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so John is pointing them to Messiah, Jesus, and he does this in chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now what does that phrase mean? Because for a lot of people they're just thinking like, I don't care about that. As you heard in that Alpha video, no one said that about God or is looking for that. They're looking for love or connection or all these different things. But this doesn't come up. So what does this even mean? Because uh, obviously people in that context are like, behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Like, okay, so what? We have to go back to the original hearers of this word and what it means to them so that we can bring that to the modern day. And so this declaration, what did it mean to the people who heard John say this? Well, then you have to go back to Genesis 22. And you have to go back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. And you remember when Isaac was instructed to sacrifice Isaac. Let me read it for you. Genesis 22, I'm, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but starting in verse 2. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and, and laid the wood in the order and, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, 
Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You have to keep that background in mind as John is saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That God, even in Genesis 22, you read that and you're like, God didn't offer a lamb, he offered a ram. You see in verse 13 of Genesis 22 that a ram was offered in place of the sacrifice of Isaac. Now why a ram and not a lamb? Well, you have to also go to a story in Exodus. It's the story of the Passover. And in order to get a better idea of this, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you have to look at Genesis 22, but you also have to look at Exodus 12, starting in verse 3. promise I'm not reading the whole thing. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year old, a male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it from the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they call it. Skip down to verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you, and I will strike the land of Egypt. The blood of the lamb was sacrificed to protect from God's judgment on the doorposts and on the lintel. And the people of God continued to sacrifice these lambs throughout history in the temple, in the tabernacle, spilling the lamb's blood for their sins. Now we go back to Isaiah now, the prophet Isaiah who prophesied in chapter 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus as the Lamb of God. So, when we get back to John who's saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You have to have that background of Abraham and Isaac. That their Isaac was not the lamb. That that was a foreshadow of a lamb to come to cleanse us of our sins. You have to go back to the Passover where the sacrifice of the lamb saved people's lives because they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. You have to go back to Isaiah who is prophesying about Jesus, the lamb of God. It's the first thing said by John the Baptist, the first witness we have here in the Gospel of John. Why is this? It's the very first thing said. Because that's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. It is the most important thing for you to know about Jesus. 
Jesus takes away our sins when we believe in him, when we trust in him. Why do we come to Jesus? Because he's the only one who can cleanse us of our sins. And this is our single greatest need. We can debate this. People can argue about this. You can convince yourself that the gospel is something else. But then why does John the Baptist make this the very first thing that he says? Because it is the single greatest need. And it's something that only the divine can do for us. If Jesus can't do this, he's not God. He's not divine. If gods can't do this, they are not divine. So we will not be able to see the glory of God without experiencing Jesus taking the sins away from the world. And so John's witness is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That this is the Lamb of God. The one that's talked about in Genesis, in Exodus, in Isaiah. This is who he is. And so we read that two of John's disciples hear this. And John has said about Jesus in verse 37, and they believe this. And one of the two who heard this is Andrew, who becomes a disciple of of Jesus. And, And he becomes another witness. And he's the first person to witness to the Simon Peter. Right? The, the Simon Peter is not the first one who hears. He hears it from his brother who is a witness. And he hears this evangelical message from his brother Andrew. In John chapter 1 verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And so you're thinking like, okay, Christ. But what does that mean? What does Christ mean? Because Messiah is Christ in Hebrew and Christ is Greek in in Greek. And so like what's the English translation of Messiah and Christ then? Literally, in English, it means anointed one. Anointed one. And so we have Messiah, we have Christ, we have anointed one in English, and he is God's promised one, the one who God promised. And Andrew realized who Jesus is through all that was prophesied about him in the scriptures. He knows these scriptures, he knows Isaiah, he's, he's hearing these things like, is that what that means? And, and Lamb of God, it automatically goes to the story of Abraham and Isaac. Lamb of God, it automatically goes to the Passover lamb. And all these things are flooding his mind like, that, that's him. It has to be him. The one prophesied in scriptures. And this is who John baptized. And John witnessed this. Verses 32 and 33. John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, this is God who said to him, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Baptize with the Holy Spirit. And this is also what happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter 11. Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit and this special anointing, then launched Jesus into his ministry. This is where he was prepared to go out to ministry. Because before this, there's nothing recorded in terms of what he's done. The first miracle recorded is that wedding in Cana, where he changes the water into wine. 
And so this same baptism with the Holy Spirit is the same one experienced at Pentecost in Acts 11. And this same baptism is the one that we can experience today. That we share in this same baptism as Jesus and those at Pentecost. And we have this same anointing available to us. Not only are our sins taken away by Christ, but we are also given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who descends upon us and remains with us. And I think if we are wanting to see a revival in our church, in our city, in our country, in our world, that we need this. This is what we need. And that we're given the same Holy Spirit. The witness of John shows Jesus to be the Lamb of God. The witness of Andrew shows Jesus to be the Messiah, the Anointed One. And then we see the witness of Nathanael, who shows Jesus to be the Son of God. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Now, what is this proclamation? Because it's actually quite profound. Philip found Nathanael in verse 45. Let's read that. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so you notice again, Philip has witnessed to Nathanael in order for Nathanael to know Jesus. And it's all about witnessing. It's all about evangelizing. And we know Philip to be Philip the evangelist. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. So is Nathaniel here, is he just a skeptic or does he just despise people from Nazareth? Like what's going on here? Is he just surprised? Like what's, what's going on with him? Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed whom there is no deceit. And so what does Jesus mean by this statement? Uh, maybe Jesus is speaking of his evident skepticism. And maybe Jesus was speaking of the other side of it, which can be his genuine curiosity. I don't know what he's speaking of. In verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? Like, what was Nathanael doing under the fig tree? And so whatever was happening then is something that just kind of like clicked in his mind and he believed in Christ in that moment. But what happens under that fig tree? What happened there? We don't know. It's, it's a mysterious thing. But maybe it's something that's similar to verse 42 when Andrew brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus and, and Jesus just kind of knew him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And maybe something there also clicked for Simon. And like, how did he know? Like, it's the Cephas thing. That's, he, he must me, know me. And Nathaniel must be thinking like, man, under the fig tree, nobody knows about that. Nobody knows my thoughts during that time or what I was doing at that time. But he knew. And so for Simon and Nathaniel, they realized that Jesus knew something about them that made them think, this guy knows me better than anybody else because nobody knew what I was thinking or doing under the fig tree. Nobody knew, like the Cephas name, nobody knows about that. Something only God would know. 
that Jesus was able to see right through them and say something that really touched their soul because it was something only God knew because it was so deep inside their deep inner thoughts and maybe Nathaniel had some really deep thoughts under that fig tree that Jesus showed, I know you, Nathaniel. I know you more deeply than anybody else knows you, more deeply than any friend, any family member, I know you. And Nathaniel knew exactly what Jesus meant when he referenced the under the fig tree. To be a child of God is to be known intimately by God. If God doesn't know you, you are not a child of God. God knows his children. Now take a look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The child of God knows God as their heavenly father and God knows them as his children. And the child of God knows Jesus to be the lamb of God who takes away our sins. They know Jesus to be the Christ, the anointed one. They know Jesus to be the son of God, just as Nathaniel professed, who doesn't just have knowledge of God's children, but has this intimate knowledge and this power to transform them into his image. And in verses 50, it says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. You believe because I shared with you about this fig tree story. But you know what, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. There is so much more. You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And what is Jesus speaking of here? Jesus is referring to Jacob's ladder experience in the Old Testament, that Jesus is actually Jacob's ladder. I am Jacob's ladder, that it's by the cross on Jacob's ladder that the angels of God will be able to ascend and descend. And this is how the kingdom of heaven is open up to us, Nathaniel, and, and to all the people coming after us. And, and so until we know that Jesus knows us completely, who we really are, we won't realize the grace Jesus has for us as a savior, opening up the kingdom of heaven to us. You look back to John chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, and it reads this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in verse 16, For from His fullness we have received grace upon grace. And then comes this fourth and last witness of the verses today. It's the witness of Jesus' first miracle in chapter 2. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. You see, God's will for our lives is not determined by needs and crisis. It is determined by his glorious purposes. And so we don't try and change what God wants. And so his mother said to the servants in verse 5, do whatever he tells you. I think Mary catches herself and just says, like, you're right. You guys just do whatever he says. If he doesn't want to make wine, then don't make wine. If he does, he does. Like, 
Okay. And so do whatever Jesus tells you. And so we know that Jesus turned the water into wine, but then you notice there, why are there six stone water jars there? Verse six. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And so there are these six jars over there for the Jewish ritual of purification. But they're actually just sitting there empty. Empty jars. And they're not being used, and yet they're supposed to be for purification. And so the rituals of the law are significant, but they are powerless to truly cleanse one of their sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They are powerless to offer us joy or peace, to meet our needs. These things are just powerless jars. These are powerless vessels. And so he tells them to fill them with water to the brim, spilling over. And then he turns it into wine, and he's able to bring joy to this reception. He's able to meet the needs of the newlyweds and the families who would otherwise face this huge social shame in the community because they didn't provide for the needs of this wedding feast. It would have been so embarrassing and so shameful for them. And so John's witness shows us our need for God, that the world fails us, but not Christ, that he is glorious. And so we go through all these witnesses in the week span, these four witnesses, and they are showing us the glory of God. And so the question for us this morning is, have you seen the glory of God? Do you know him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Do you know him to be Christ? Do you know that he is the Son of God? Do you know that all these religious things that you do are powerless, that who you really need is Jesus Christ to transform you, and he is the one to bring joy and peace and deliver you from your needs, and that you don't face shame, and you don't face all this, these social things that, that you think you're going to face, because he's going to stand before God, and he's going to clear you of whatever you are accused of. Do you know who Christ is? He is your Savior who is sufficient to gift us with joy and peace and every single need to his fullness. Grace upon grace, verses 14 and 16. Fullness and grace upon grace. That John is inviting us to receive the blessing of eternal life. We need to see the glory of Christ in order to have a relationship with Christ. Let us pray. God, um, sharing what you've done in a week in a span of 30, 40 minutes uh, obviously doesn't do any justice to you whatsoever. But we ask, Lord, that you would baptize us with your spirit, that we would be able to do more than we are capable of or able to in your name. Lord, would you empower us to be witnesses? We know Simon Peter so much better than Andrew, but without his brother Andrew, there is no Simon Peter. We know Nathaniel to be a disciple, but there is no Nathaniel the, the, the disciple without Philip sharing to Nathaniel. 
And so we ask, Lord, that you would make us witnesses for your kingdom, that we would be one of these four witnesses to declare that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of God, that you are the one who works miracles in people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone is needing communion elements, just hold up your hand and we'll get that over to you. And if anyone is needing prayer, wanting prayer, uh, Mike, who's one of our elders, is in the center pew, and he'd be honored to pray with you. This first element, symbolizing the broken body of Christ for us, that he, Jacob's ladder, is making way for us into the kingdom of God, broken right before going to the cross for us, and we take this in Jesus' name. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the spilled blood of Christ takes away the sins of the world. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you for these elements, so simple yet so profound. And we ask God that you would work within us any of those inconsistencies in our life, which for all of us there are, that you would help us to walk in line with you. In Jesus' name, amen.